Let's complete that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 118. And it's from A Spark to a Flame sure. by Master Jason Flame. And uh, he is an incredible guest, someone I highly respect that I have for you today. And just watch and listen and learn. Okay, thank you. Jason, let me read your bio for our listeners. Jason, sure. Master, I'm going to call you Master because you are a Master. So Master Jason Flame, owner, is an owner of Moor Park Karate and Krav Maga in Moor Park, California. Started his martial arts training in 1985 and opened his first school in 96. He is a seventh degree black belt. Oh my God, I wouldn't want to mess up with you, Jason. A black belt in American Tang So Do and also holds black belts in Krav Maga, Ketsugo, Jiu Jitsu, and Combat Hapkido, right? Yes. He has served as a martial arts business consultant since 2010. Master Flame pursued his childhood dream of becoming a professional wrestler at the age of 38 and actively wrestled for Millennium Pro Wrestling from 2013 to 2019, becoming a Triple Crown champion and the first ever MPW Unified Champion. Jason is an active member of his community and serves on the board of directors for several local organizations and community events. Recently, Jason and his wife, Jackie, have become partners in Country Harvest Restaurant and coaches old-fashioned ice cream parlor. He is also the host of the Master Motivation podcast. As an active community member, he attributes the success to his businesses to understanding the importance of giving back to those in his community. That's so beautiful. Jason was born and raised in Conejo, Valley moved to Moor Park, California in 1993 and currently resides with his wife, Jackie, and two children, Madison and Mason. There is a lot of M's going on there, Madison <laughs> and Mason. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my podcast. It's such an honor to have you, Jason. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. I'm I'm really excited just to talk with you again. We had a, a great conversation on, on the other side. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll sit back and answer the questions this time and let you ask all the questions. Okay. So can you explain uh, what from a spark to a flame means? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because when, when I was in high school, I had, um, I had a, a teacher who was my woodshop teacher and he used to kind of tease me a little bit, you know, and, and call me sparky or something like that. And then my younger brother came into the class and, and I was flame and he was spark. And then there was another, my other brother was flicker. Uh, so <laughs> it was just kind of a uh, kind of funny play on, uh, you know, from going from a young boy in martial arts and in life, of course, uh, to becoming who I am today. So from a spark to a flame, that's how I was born. Wow. I like it. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about your growing up. Like what kind of kid were you? Were you wild or were you calm? besides sure. the martial arts? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't start martial arts until I was 10 years old. Um, but as a as a young child, um, I was a mama's boy. I was wow. very sensitive and shy. And I would probably cry at just about anything. Um, I think I didn't know it then. But I think looking back now as an adult, I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of... Um, just, I don't know, a lot of nervous energy. Um, I didn't really know what to do with that energy. I, I got very anxious when it came to, uh, you know, I would never be able to, as a, as a child, I would never look people in the eyes or uh, be able to talk to adults. Cause I, I was just, I was such a shy kid. I don't know why I was the oldest of three and um, I was just a, I was a sensitive one. And so you know, I, I got into martial arts at 10 years old and that all kind of changed because the confidence that I gained from martial arts and just the outgoing personality, becoming more of a performer um, and then, of course, becoming an instructor. But, yeah, as a young child, I was I was a really shy, quiet, uh, oh, anxious man. little guy. That's little that's guy. how when I think that's how my mom in, would explain. Yeah. Would you say like the reason you were shy and you had anxiety, were you bullied or teased in school? at any point? You know, not, not a lot. Um, 
Not a lot. I mean, I, I, the, I think every child kind of goes through stages of being bullied, whether it's someone calling you a name or, uh, you know, just teasing you about something. Um, I think that it was just, you know, when growing up, my father was, uh, in construction and, and he worked long days and, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time with my mom. And like I said, I was, I was kind of a mama's boy. Mom, mom didn't want me going out and be, you know, my brothers were rough and tough from like the time they came out of the womb, I think. But uh, <laughs> I think I was maybe just a little bit more, a little bit more sheltered, you know, earlier on. Um, definitely uh, almost a 180 from how I think my personality is now. Uh, but I still find myself being in those situations where, um a little bit shy and reserved, you know, take a step back in certain situations. So I still feel it. Um, but I think most of it just comes from being the the first child and being a little bit sheltered. I think that was probably it. Yeah, that's true, though. The first child is always gets the most attention and the most love. I have to see that because my brother got everything and I didn't, <laughs> you know, like I always hated his guts because he was mama's favorite. <laughs> you know, he was six years mm -hmm. almost older than me, right? So right. I, I totally get it. And um, yeah, so, and then how did you get into, what inspired you to start your own school? So, well, like I said, I started martial arts at 10 years old and that that was solely based on my mom's desire to get me into martial arts. I, I really didn't know anything about karate um, it was right around the time that the karate kid came out and, um, you know, my mom wanted to get me involved in activity. I really didn't want to do other sports. As a matter of fact, I remember, um, that I was going to go to tryouts for a flag football, uh, mm -hmm. a flag football league. And I remember being in the garage and getting in the car and my mom was like, we're going to go. And, and, and this is one of those times where I just cried my eyes out. I was like, I am not doing that. I don't, oh. I don't want to go. I was too nervous. And, um, I, I think that she knew something about martial arts that I didn't probably. And in, she enrolled me in martial arts at 10 years old at a, a recreation center. And it was a, a very low key, um, not, not quite as, um, intimidating as going into, you know, what a martial arts school can be. And so, uh, started that at 10 and I just kind of fell in love with it over the years. And I really looked up to a lot of the instructors and the black belts and, and some of the higher ranking students. I mean, I just, I would look at them as like the cool kids, the guys that knew yeah. all the forms and could do all the stuff. I was like, that's just really cool. And more and more, I just, I, I fell in love with it. And it just came to a point where I, I started to help teaching classes and I enjoyed that. Um, I think as a, younger instructor i i enjoyed the attention you know yeah. I, as, as the oldest child right like i always got all the attention so this was another way that i could get all the attention but i i enjoyed that but i but i really did enjoy helping people learn and i, and I loved it so much that i wanted to show everybody i wanted to show them like this is this is what karate can do for you this is what martial arts can do for you this is how it can change your life and um it, it just one step led to another and as I was teaching for my instructor at, you know, I started about 17 years old. And by the time I was 19, I had started, you know, I really had the thoughts of wanting to be a martial arts school owner. Didn't really know what it took or what I would need to do because I knew nothing about business. Yeah. Um, didn't like school at all. That was another thing. I didn't want to go to college, really. Um, my dad was, uh, he was self-employed and that's what I saw. And that's kind of the direction that I went. And before I knew it, I was working for my instructor and I could just see that I was about as high as I could get, you know, as far as opportunity, there was no real um, opportunity to grow. And I, I think it was kind of by design. That was just, you know, it was time for me to go out and do my own thing. And with his permission, I went and started my own karate program in a recreation center, just like I started and introduced kids to martial arts. You know, I started that in, um, I, I believe it was October of 1994. And within a year and a half, um, I opened my first location at, at uh, in 1996. I think it was April 1st. As a matter of fact, our anniversary is coming up. And uh, yeah, just kind of went from there. So that's, that's how it started. Wow. What about wrestling? How did you get into wrestling? <laughs> and when did you get into wrestling? So I didn't start wrestling officially until I was 38 years old, but okay. mm -hmm. I grew up 
in, you know, I grew up in the 1980s and uh, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, Randy Savage, you know, all those, the rock and roll, the rock and wrestling era uh, was just so like every Saturday morning I was watching wrestling. I was such a huge fan. I loved the WWF at the time. I loved professional wrestling and I would watch it and watch it and watch it. And, and, and I would come and go through it um, as I got older um, as a early twenties, I think I actually had thoughts of becoming a pro wrestler. I knew nothing about what it would actually take, but I thought, Hey, it would be cool. I think I had just gone to see a, a show uh, in Los Angeles. And, and so I found out that there was a wrestling school uh, nearby within an hour. And I called the school. I sent letters to the school. I sent in an application. Long story short, I ended up showing up to the wrestling school um, because that's, you know, I wanted to take class, but <laughs> again, here comes that, that, that shy kid in me, I get there and, and the instructor introduces himself to me and he says, Hey, are you here to train? And I said, no, I'm just here to watch. And he goes, Oh, oh wow. Okay. And he goes, okay, well, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. And I sat down, I watched them train for a bit and maybe 15 minutes we got up and left. And I always kind of regretted that, but I know that my life would have been totally different had I pursued that dream earlier. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I still watched it, but I, I walked away from that opportunity and flash forward, you know, more than 20, you know, 20 years. And I run into a gentleman, uh, actually he calls me first and then he comes to my karate school. His name is Barry Cohen. He was the promoter for the organization that I got involved with. And mm -hmm. he said, how would you like to promote your martial arts school? And I said, sure, I would love to. Right. And, and he, I said, what's how, what, you know, there's a, there's an event at the boys and girls club this Saturday night. I said, well, what's, what's the event? And he's all, oh, it's a professional wrestling organization. I said, really? I said, I was always a pro wrestling fan growing up, loved it. I said, I'll be there. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I bring my flyers, set up a table and, uh, you know, we're trying to hand out information about our karate school, but then I get introduced to the owner of the organization who then uh, introduces me or turns me on to the trainer of all the professional wrestlers. And he said, Hey, you know, go check it out. And uh, within the next six months, I was starting to wrestle on the shows. So, oh, wow. Did you do the training or just without training? No, no, no. I, I trained for, you know, a, a good six months. And, and my very first match was probably lasted two or three minutes, it, you know, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't anything real engaged or involved. Um, but I kept training you. Know, I, I loved one of the things that I loved about professional wrestling was I love the training portion of it. I really, at that time, what a lot of people don't know is that at 38 years old, I was at the heaviest weight. I think of my life, I was close to 245 or 250 pounds. Oh, wow. And so the timing of starting the professional wrestling was, Yes, I wanted to wrestle, but it was a cool way to work out. And uh, within the, the first few months, I started shedding weight very quickly. And it really actually catapulted my fitness to a whole new level. And keep in mind that I was a martial arts instructor. I was a martial arts school owner at that time. And here I was out of shape. You know, I mean, I could still move and I can still do stuff, but I wasn't I wasn't in peak condition. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I let myself slip a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so pro wrestling helped pull me kind of out of that. And then like, you know, when you're in the ring, you got to look the part. So I, I just kept working out and working out and training. Uh, eventually I went from 245 pounds, um, within, I think it took about 18 months, but I was down to almost 185. Oh, wow. So I dropped a significant amount of weight. Nice. And, uh, and I started getting involved in running uh, Spartan races and, you know, half marathons. And I started doing a lot of running, too, because now with this whole renewed, you know, not just motivation and inspiration, but like this whole new discipline of yeah. my training, you know, from the from the time that I was a teenager until probably I want to say, you know, my 30s, I was still actively competing in martial arts tournaments, training very regularly. But somehow that like 30 to 38 years old, I, 
I kind of slowed down and slipped back a little bit. So pro wrestling pulled me out of that. And then that just kind of catapulted my martial arts to a whole new level again as well. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So did you ever meet any of the ones, you know, who got me into wrestling? My mom. Yeah. She was obsessed with wrestling. <laughs> so yeah. Hulk Hogan definitely was her number one. Like, and mm -hmm. me, um, yeah, I loved him too, but I had other fans, uh, you know, the younger looking ones she used to call. She had one that he likes because that's my daughter's fiance. She likes him. I can't remember what his name is, but uh -huh. she really liked him. Oh, that's Gabby's fiance. Uh, uh -huh. And she called Hogan her fiance. So it was so much fun those days. <laughs> and then I became so addicted because of my mom. So we don't miss a game on TV. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, so when I moved to the Middle East, then I used to have them taped. Like right. I would have like how many games taped and then I would send them to her or when I travel, I, we were two different countries, right? So I would take those tapes for her. Uh -huh. That was her entertainment. Like right. that was the biggest gift you could give her. Like, yeah. So yeah, wrestling was big. I haven't seen one in a while now though. You can you can stream just about anything on, on YouTube or any of the, the really? streaming channels. Oh, you can you can find wrestling just about everywhere and anywhere online. But we need to find those guys. We need to find uh, Hulk Hogan so he can come on your show. I would love it. And we, yeah. <laughs> and then and I was thinking about it yesterday. I said, like, what would it take, like, for me to find, like, um, uh, because I watch, uh, I watch, what's his name? Um, the good-looking guy, an actor now. I don't think he's wrestling the anymore. The Rock and uh, Kevin Hartz, the two uh -huh. of them, like they have these episodes going on. They are so funny. Oh, yeah. So I was watching that and I was thinking about you and your show. And I said, what would it take for me to find this guy and just message him? Can you please contact, <laughs> you know, Jason <laughs> Flame and he wants you on his show and the Hulk Hogan, the same thing. We will find them. We'll get them. Yeah, I, we'll I, get funny, them. I, uh, I tweeted Hulk Hogan not long ago and someone, someone joked. He said, well... He got paid $2,000 a minute for one of his WrestleMania performance. So I don't think he's coming on your podcast. I'm like, I'm still going to try. <laughs> yeah, keep on trying. And then uh, if someone is going to ask for money to be on a podcast, like seriously, that is too much of an ego. That <laughs> is, I wouldn't even want them. I don't think he would do that. Like he would just be proud to be a guest and, you know, inspire other people. But I don't think he would ask for money. We'll like, yeah, some people we'll are see. just so negative, right? Yeah, so that is so negative. You also are great into leadership. Talk to me how you got into this personal development leadership. Yeah, you know, um, again, it starts, I think, with martial arts. Um, I was, I was um, at some point, you know, at my first degree black belt, when I earned my black belt, literally the night of my black belt, I was given a class to teach. And I really, I really had no idea what I was doing. And I asked the instructor, what do you want me to teach? Whatever you want to teach, just teach. And I had shadowed him along, you know, through classes as I was coming up the ranks. And, um, you know, just a few years prior to that, I, I started assisting class, but I, I never really led a class. I didn't, I didn't really know what leadership was, you know, uh, but I started just watching my instructors and how they did things. And I tried to you know, just emulate them. And, and then once I could, you know, get students to learn from me, then I would improve my skills. You know, a lot of, a lot of my leadership was learned through trial and error. I mean, I, I would literally just learn what worked and what didn't, um, by who stuck around. Um, when I taught martial arts, um, for the first 10 years of, of my school being open, I really flew by the seat of my pants. I really just learned a lot by trial and error. But about 10 years into my business, I got involved with an organization called Maya or Martial Arts Industry Association. That was really my first experience into understanding more about, you know, growing my business, but ultimately, you know, leadership. I met um, a lot of great martial artists that had not only a great following, but, you know, great systems in their schools, uh, great teams. That's, mm -hmm. I, I never knew that leadership, uh, I always thought leadership was about me, make me better, make me better, make me better. But really leadership becomes more about helping others, others. become better and helping others come up. I always 
I was always proud of teaching all of my classes and being the only one that taught my classes and teaching every class all the time. And although I think I taught really great classes, I don't think that I was demonstrating good leadership at that time because it was all about me and I wasn't creating more of a we and creating a team. So once I started um, incorporating more people into my team and helping me teach and giving them the tools to teach, um, I started learning so much more. I learned so much more about teaching other people's teaching other people how to teach rather than trying to just get better at me teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so through Maya, I, I went through a lot of training um, as a consultant and as a martial artist. Um, I met uh, an amazing black belt. His name is Dave Kovar. And one of the top leading experts in leadership training through martial arts. He has several schools in Northern California. He has a, an amazing instructor training program. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping to have him out to our school uh, this summer to help kind of, you know, bring out uh, a little bit more within our team and within our groups and our school. Um, but then I, and then I started reading a lot more. I started reading John Maxwell is one of my, my favorites. Love reading John Maxwell books. Um, and I just kind of started diving in. And, and then again, what I learned, I tried to continue sharing, continue sharing, you know, in my, in my martial arts school. And as my martial arts school continued to grow, I became more involved in my community. So now not only do I have a leadership role um, at home with my family, right, as one, and then at my martial arts school with my students, too, now, now I'm getting more involved in the community and people are looking to me for for answers, for direction, advice, for yeah. advice, right? And and so you know, I've gotten involved on our the board of directors for our chamber of commerce, the boys and girls club, lots of different organizations. And I guess when I really look back at it, the thing is, is I never really set out to be a leader per se. Like I didn't say I, I was going to be, you know, what whatever that was going to be, right? I didn't I didn't really have that vision. I just kept doing things that I knew were benefiting my family, benefiting my school and benefiting my community. And I think just by leading by example, just by doing the things I did, that kind of put me in that leadership spot each time that I got involved with, with something else. So, um, you know, part of the podcast that I do master motivation podcast, um, I love to bring on great leaders. I had a, I had a leader on today, um, that I, I still have the notes. This I, I took an oh entire. Oh my god! Notes yeah, I missed his... <laughs> it, and I missed it because I was at work. I saw it; it popped up on my cell phone uh-huh. because I have subscribed to your channel. Right. It popped up, and then when I clicked it, it kept on going round and round. I was so mad, and I said, "I will just catch the replay." So, okay, what happened today? Well, you... So you took a lot of notes. Oh man, I I just I just sat in awe listening to all the lessons that he had to offer. And, and the one thing that, that the one thing that stuck out to me that, that really resonated with me um, in this particular podcast um, was he, he, he talked about being a vulnerable leader and being um, an authentic leader and a transparent leader. Um, I think that there's, especially with social media, it's very easy to look like an influencer, to look like a, leader to look like your life is, you know, just amazing. Right. And, um, I'm sure that there's plenty of people that look at my social media and probably think, you know, the same thing, but what I really try to do is I try to be real and I try to, you know, when I have people on my podcast, you know, we have, we have real conversations. It's, it's a conversation. I don't have you know, a set of questions that I have to hit each question and just kind of move on to the next. I really dive in to learn more about the person. And as we talked about in this interview today, in many interviews is uh, what I've learned and what I've been working on more and more is my connections, my connections with other people, Uh, Mm -hmm. my connection with my family, my connection with my friends, uh, my connection with my students, my staff, and, you know, the people that I bring on the podcast. You know, I, I want to create those connections that who knows, you know, who knows 
where where you might be that I can make that connection for you or you know so I think that that part of it is what is uh really driving me to continue with the podcast too because every time I I've had people on the podcast that I've known for years and I've had people that I've never met other than through a quick message or a referral and then we get on the we get on the call and we talk for about an hour and by the time I get done I'm like I feel like I know so much about you. I know more about you than some of the people that I see almost every day. Yeah. And and we just oh. spend an hour together, you know? So I think that that's really unique. I referred Dennis LaRue Jr. to, to you, right? Yes. And you had a great time with him. I Amazing. love that man also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Dennis, Dennis then uh, introduced me to Nathan Cook. Oh, yeah. So um, it's like, CLA. Yeah. Now, now you see, now you're seeing, you know, these connections all, all the way around, which is really, really fun. Yeah. And then you said that you posted something about your book for the whole 2023. Oh my goodness. Really? (laughs) I am. You know, I I started, listen, I started this podcast just for fun. And just like I said, this is going to be my passion project, something fun for me to do on my downtime. It was right at the beginning of COVID and Mm -hmm. my, it was our, our school was shut down actually. So uh, we couldn't do martial arts in person at the time. And so all of my instructors were teaching on Zoom, just like yeah. we're talking now. Yeah. And well, if they're teaching on Zoom and there's no students in the school, I mean, I'm kind of either sitting watching them, which I did for the first couple of weeks, or I was sitting at home and didn't have that connection. Right. And yeah. so I said, what, what, what can I do? What, what would be interesting for me? What would be interesting and beneficial to people that might watch. And I said, wow, I said, it just hit me. And I said, I know a lot of martial artists through the years of training and years of doing business. Um, Why don't I just start interviewing them online and let them tell their story. And, you know, that will be fun for me. But little did I know that other people would find that interesting as well and tune in and get engaged. So I started on Mondays. I, and within the first, I want to say the first few months, of that first year, 2021, um, I booked out every Monday in 2021. I got towards the end of 2021 and I said, well, this is going really well. I should start looking at 2022. So then I booked 2022 within a few weeks. I, I think I think that I was booked through 2022 before the end of 2021. And then I start getting to the end of 2022 and I'm like, I, now I have people asking me to be on the podcast. I have mm-hmm. people referring people. To be on, I'm like, well, I need more days. So I started going Monday, Wednesday, and I booked out all of 2023 every Monday, every Wednesday. And I even have some Fridays that are filling up. I started something new where I'm doing um, a roundtable discussion on Fridays. Where oh, I, I love those. I know yeah, one day, people. like you had them with the CLA members, Sifu yep. and uh, Rich Brogan. And who was the other one? Uh, Mr. That Cox, was, Mark Cox. Yeah, Mark Cox. So that yep. was amazing. Yeah. It's a lot I of fun. Those, yeah. So, you know, a passion project turned into a lot more than that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about it is that if I'm being a little bit selfish, I have a one-on-one mentoring leadership seminar every time I sit down and talk. And like I said, I took a an entire full page of notes today from the talk that I had with uh, Jerry Rosenthal, Roizenthal, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was amazing, you know, but what's even more amazing is if I got that much out of it, if somebody else, if just one more person watches that and we inspire or motivate them or, you know, make them feel good for watching that video, then that's a, heck you did of a, job. a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah inspired one person you did a great job okay talk to us about the restaurant how did you get into you and jackie is she there now can uh, she join us or no no she's not here now she's actually oh. uh, out um she's out helping a photographer with a with a sports league that's uh, kind of something oh. she does on the side okay, so she's, she's busy. out there okay. she's out there in the community as usual um okay. so the restaurant right um country harvest moore park uh, country harvest restaurant in moore park I went to school with a, a gentleman, Chris, and um, we were we were friends. We were training partners. Um, we actually worked together. He worked at my karate school, and he owned a restaurant in Newbury Park, California, 
It was uh, the original Country Harvest. And he ended up taking over this restaurant. You know, long story short, he the owners were going to shut down and he wanted to keep it open. So he and a couple of friends decided to take over the restaurant. Right. Well, here we are uh, again at the beginning of COVID. And he said he calls me and we had talked you know, pretty regularly. And he says, I'm, I'm thinking about expanding. What do you think of this location? And I said, well, I said, I don't think that's a good location, you know, for X, Y, Z. I said, but if you're really looking to expand into more park, I know exactly the location that would be great. It's five doors down from the karate school. I'll help keep an eye on it. You know, let's, let's take a look. Within a few days, he had a meeting with uh, the landlord and loved it. Uh, and then uh, he offered us the opportunity to come in and, and partner with that. So the restaurant's a lot of fun. My daughter works there. Uh, my nice. son had worked there for a short period of time. It's a family business. It's a, you know, it's a family restaurant. We serve breakfast and lunch, um, you know, all the, all the basics, all, all American food. Um, and we employ a lot of um, kids for the first job, which I think is really cool. Um, so that's, that's a lot of fun. A lot of our kids' friends have come to work there. And then from that spawned the ice cream parlor, which is, the, it's kind of a, a sister business because in the original location, there's a country harvest and a coach's ice cream. Well, we knew that when we brought country harvest to Moore park that, um, that we would want to open a coaches. And within, I believe it was nine months, we opened the ice cream parlor and they just, it's really neat because we have the karate school, we have the restaurant and we have coaches ice cream, all, all in the same shopping center within, you know, within a couple of units of each other. So I always like to say, you know, Hey, you could, you could go have lunch and then have ice cream and then come work out, or you could work out first and then go get lunch and get ice cream. So it kind of works. Yeah. Great idea. I like the idea. And then because it's warm where you are, you don't get snow like us here. Well, it's right? not very, I'll tell you what, it's not very warm right now, to be honest are with you. you. It's, serious? It's, it's the coldest, it's the coldest winter that I can remember in California. It is so cold. And when I say it's so cold, like if it gets in the thirties and the forties, that's absolutely freezing for me. So um, yeah, if it's not in the seventies or eighties, I'm, I'm cold, but the ice cream's a little slow right now because people are cold, but that's okay. But the restaurant's busy because they want something nice and warm and cozy and comfort food. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I can't believe in California. It's cold now. I can't believe it. (laughs) hopefully two more weeks i just two two more more weeks weeks. yeah we're looking forward (laughs) for us also the same thing three weeks and then it should be spring yeah spring would be announced so fingers crossed i'm so looking forward to that i miss the walks by the lake and i Uh miss the walks by the gardens and i miss all that so fingers crossed so yes so who is your biggest inspiration from the leaders um, I know you're going to say John Maxwell. I know that, but give me somebody else. Well, I mean, it, when you say inspiration, the my family always comes to mind first. My my wife, my two kids, they're, they're my inspiration for everything. Everything I do, all of my success. Um, for them. They're, they're, they're my, they're, they are my wife for sure. Um, people that inspire me, um, you know, Mr. Cox is definitely one of uh, one of the people that has inspired me over the years. My, you know, my original instructor, Dennis Uchikawa. Um, those are people that, you know, my my dad was a huge inspiration. I, I don't have anybody in my life that I know that has ever worked harder than that man. So my my oh. my father was a huge inspiration that way. I was so close to my mom growing up and and she I mean, anything that I ever did, she was always my biggest cheerleader, always believed in me. Um, you know, they, they, my parents were both huge inspirations for me. Um, if you want to get really, you know, someone that I, uh, that I would love to meet and, and who I follow very closely, you mentioned him earlier, the rock who is actually, I think he's only one year older than me or about the same time. And I have met him twice. Um, but you know what, but you know what I love about the rock is, uh, you know, I like most people, right. Following on social media. So I don't know him personally. Right. But you know, the general attitude that he has and the fact that he came from pretty much nothing and had, you know, the the upbringing that he did 
and, and then to go from where he was to where he is now. Because what a lot of people don't know about me is that although I had a, a great family, you know, my, my father worked super hard. My mom was a stay at home mom who uh, was always there for us. You know, my dad was in construction, so money was tight a lot, you know? And so I, I grew up knowing what it was like to have nothing, but then I also had friends who would tease me and, and say, um, you know, what are you, what are you going to get for Memorial day? And I was like, what do you mean? That's not a holiday. He's all, it just seems like every time, you know, Memorial day comes up, your dad buys a new quad or a motorcycle. And it's because when things were good, my, my father would buy, you know, toys and things, and it would look like we were doing well, I guess. Uh, that was just kind of a running joke, but I knew what it was like to live in a 20 foot travel trailer with the five of us. And uh, the only heat we had was uh, with the, with the stove door or the, the oven door open and the stove lit like that was, that was our heat. So uh, that's what I like about the rock is knowing that he came from, you know, humble beginnings and created his success really. He did that. And he's also very humble because I did watch his interview with Oprah Winfrey show. Mm-hmm. I just loved him even more because he was so simple, so down to earth, so humble. And right. uh, it didn't grow up like, you know, he like it didn't go to his head, his success or his riches or his money. It didn't go mm-hmm. to his head. Very simple guy. So I agree with you. That's that's OK. You will meet him and you will get him on your show. Trust me. I would love it. I would love it. Yes, yes, yes. And then we're all going to search for him. And uh, yeah, but I am obsessed with him and Kevin getting Kevin. at each other like Kevin Hart. <laughs> oh, my God. They're very good friends, by the way. Oh, yeah. But the, the things funny. that I watch them fighting or arguing or telling each other <laughs> off. It's so funny. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, I watch oh, yeah. that. So what advice would you give the young generation? Wow. Um, you know, this this generation, a lot of people, um, I, I think a lot of people give this generation a hard rap, you know, like you hear a lot. And, and I'll, I'll say it myself sometimes that we have uh, the younger generation is a little bit more entitled and, um, you know, they want things now and. I understand that, but, you know, I watched my daughter go through 2020 and her, she was supposed to graduate. Well, she graduated high school, but that year was her graduation year. And, you know, she didn't get to go to school, um, in person. Um, her first two years of college were online and I was pretty surprised at how resilient they were because I don't know if I could have gone through that, I don't know if I would have stuck with school if I had to be online, you know what I mean? So it's kind of this double-edged sword about, you know, uh, critiquing the younger generation of being entitled and not as hardworking, but yet, man, they just went through something harder than most of us have ever had to go through. Um, But my advice to the younger generation is number one to, you know, believe in yourself, because if you don't believe in yourself, Nobody else will. And it, and it may not matter. Right. So I try to talk to my my young students and on, on their very first class. One of the things I say is, you know, the first thing that you have to be to be successful is you have to have confidence in yourself. Second thing you have to have is you have to have focus and a purpose and set goals. Right. Um, without that focus, without that, that carrot dangling on the on the stick you know right in martial arts we use black belt as as their goal is what they focus on um but you're just kind of wandering right and so when we get laser focused on where we want to go we can have a straighter path um number three is having discipline you know having discipline you know people like to um poke fun at the name of my show by the way master motivation because uh First of all, who's a master motivation and uh, motivation doesn't last, right? Well, that, that's true. Um, but I think that motivation does lead to discipline and discipline leads to success and further success keeps you motivated. So it's a cycle of learning, a cycle of life. But the discipline to do um, what you need to do, even when you don't want to do it, even if you don't feel like it, right? Even when it's not fun anymore, uh, being able to push forward. And then number four is is commitment you know, sticking with things. Um, it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to give up. 
And sometimes we, we don't know that we're right on the other side of that breakthrough moment. And I talk about this in board breaking, right? You got to be committed to break the board because if you stop halfway and you don't go through, you don't know what it feels to have that, that victory, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have commitment and you have follow through and you complete, now you get to see what's on the other side of the board. What's on the other side of earning that black belt, earning the, the other side of earning a degree, right? Um, so commitment is super important. So my, my four things, I talk about these a lot is having confidence in yourself, focus on your goal, discipline to stick with it and commitment to follow through. If you can have those four things, I think no matter what you set your mind to, you can be successful. Absolutely fantastic. I really would like Michael to listen to this, my son, to listen to this one. Um, so since COVID, a lot of kids who are locked out, like have been going through depression and anxiety. What mm -hmm. advice would you give the parents how to deal with them? I think number one is communication and engagement. You know, stay in tune uh, and, and not assume uh, that you know how they're feeling and what they're thinking. You know, one of the things that I think I love most about my relationship with my children is that they're not afraid to tell us anything. As a matter of fact, my daughter is so unafraid to tell us things that she tells us more than I want to know sometimes. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, it, but I feel really good about that because um, if they're having a challenge, if they're having trouble, um, you know, processing things on their own, I want them to know that we're there to listen uh, without prejudging or at least attempting not to prejudge. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that, I think that's really the key is, you know, just stay in tune, stay engaged, communicate, you know, be an open ear um, because they, they, they do want to talk. They, they do want to be heard. And okay. so um, I say, I think that's important. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a great advice. And then, um, yeah, because a lot of people are going through it now, it's like, it's quadrupled. I'm telling you mental illness right now, at least here, I don't know about the U S but here it has quadrupled. Mm -hmm. and, well, I'll, tell you, uh, I'll tell you what, you know, during COVID, Right. And without getting political about it, um, during COVID, when our kids were at home for the first couple of weeks, we were just like everybody else hanging out, waiting to see. But like literally after a few weeks, I'm like, this is silly. This is ridiculous. My kids need interaction. They need to be with their friends. Right. They feel isolated. And and that isolation is the worst thing for them. They they just go deep into you know, uh, video games and TikTok and, you know, and, and gosh, all the, the social media can be a very powerful, positive thing, but it can be the opposite oh, as well. Absolutely. And, and I was, I, my wife and I were both, um, uh, you know, as, as soon as, you know, as soon as we saw this, how long this was going to last really, and we didn't really know when it was going to end, but we didn't, we knew it wasn't going to end very soon. Um, we, we had kids over the house. We let the kids, you know, do their thing because they needed that interaction. They needed to be around each other and they couldn't just be with us all the time. I mean, what, what teenagers or, or any kids want to just sit with their parents all the time. They, they yeah. need, they need their friends. So I thought, I thought that that was, I thought that that was really important at the time of, of not isolating them, not making them feel isolated. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Like uh, I had uh, Mikey's friends come in. All they have to do is come in, go wash their hands, you know, and uh, that's it. Leave their jackets. Like if they're wearing like a heavy jacket, leave it like uh, hang it by the door. But I mm -hmm. had to let them come in and they would make music and they would play games and, you know, they eat and uh, they have fun because like I only have one son, like he's sitting at home all by himself all day. Like, what is he right. going to do, right? Right. So I also allowed his friends to come. So they were very happy to come, right? Yeah. So uh, he didn't go to anybody's house that much, but he, I allowed his friends to come in. So, yeah. which I agree with you. What would you advise to teachers? Mm -hmm. How do, to recognize when a kid is changing behavior? What would you advise to teachers? Because that's another problem that kids are facing. You know, I've talked a lot about, you know, some of my frustrations uh, with, with certain teachers and teaching methods. 
Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that teachers often teach the way they teach and expect everybody to latch on to them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, what I think is important is if you as a teacher learn and understand how to teach the child or the student and how they learn, you can be so much more effective. And and in doing that, you build a relationship and again, a connection with your student. You know, the the saying is that uh, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, if a teacher is only teaching and, and, and putting the information out there, but not getting to understand the student. I mean, how many, how many students have challenges? Um, you know, let's just say with ADD, ADHD or, or whatever it is, you know, even if it's a student that doesn't have any kind of diagnosis, right? If a student gets bored and a student is not learning and a student is not growing and you're labeling them and telling them that it's their problem and their fault, I don't think that you're doing a service as a teacher should, right? And I just, I see a lot of, again, I just see a lot of teachers teaching, but not necessarily connecting. And when I say teachers, I mean, I mean, coaches, I mean, instructors, I mean, you know, anybody in that realm. Um, But that's, that's my biggest thing is learn how your students learn, learn how to reach them and, and, and teach the person. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't teach karate. I teach my students. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Beautiful. Beautifully said. I hope like everybody listens to this advice, especially all the teachers or the so-called mentors and things like that. Right. We are like, we did an hour, a little over an hour, which I've never like, normally it's like maximum 40 minutes. My podcast, that was incredible, but I could talk to you all day long. We can keep um, talking whenever you want. <laughs> I know. Eh? Yeah, we could do part two of this one. Anytime I would you want. love to have part two. Yeah. And then so what is your the last advice you give people, especially to the bullies or the kids who get bullied in schools? Yeah, you know, um, bullies, bullies often are are hurting other people because they're hurt. You know, it's it's uh, it's really hard to hear. But, you know, sometimes a bully needs a friend, too. Uh, as Mr. Cox will say, sometimes, sometimes you need a hug and sometimes you need a, uh, what is it? Sometimes you need a hug and sometimes you need a headlock, right? That's what he says. Um, that's a good line. But I, I think just like the teacher situation, right? If, if we try to understand each other a little bit better, right? Yeah. Then I think maybe we could come to a solution a little bit easier because we always assume that the, the, the bully is, is you know, just a a mean person, but it's probably the bully is a hurt person. And so uh, now on the other end, I deal with teaching children all the time, right? And you got to stand up for yourself. I mean, that's number one, right? And if it turns physical, sometimes it's going to get physical, right? But if we can avoid that physical altercation altogether, right? I mean, when we, when we teach kids, if someone calls you a name, if you call my name back, all you're doing is, is this, right? If they hit you, you hit them back. Like it's just, you know, going to continue. Um, so again, I think if we can try to understand each other a little bit better, you know, the bullying issue could, could, uh, end a little bit faster. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But do they, do they do that? Nobody would like if a bully mm-hmm. is a bully. Everybody hates that bully and mm-hmm. the bully wants to hit everybody or, mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. Like, you know, I have seen it happen and it's tough. Like you call the parents, the parents don't take action, you know, and the the rich kids always tease the poor kids. And Mm -hmm. I have seen a lot of these things happen. And it's, uh, I think the parents have a huge role to play because they don't teach their children also to compare or right. to discriminate, you know what I mean? So right. that is my thing. So, yeah. And you no, teach absolutely. kids how to defend themselves, don't you? Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. I mean, when, when push comes to shove, you know, yeah. you, you, you have to, you have to handle your business. Um, you know, there's a whole thing too about um, avoiding being bullied by 
exuding that confidence, right? Bullies don't like to pick on, on strong people. Bullies like to pick on people that are weaker than them. So, um, you know, my advice to anybody being bullied is, you know, stand up, stand up for yourself, you know, lift your head up, stand up tall, you know, look people in the eyes, you know, again, bullies don't like to pick on stronger people. They want to pick on weaker people. So make yourself appear strong, even when you don't feel it, that can avoid a bully situation. If you have to handle it physically, uh, martial arts is a great tool to make yeah, sure that they know how to protect true. themselves, right? I know. I would love to go for like self-defense training. I'm way too old for that. Maybe not like, but I would love to go for uh, self-defense training, even at my age, you know, like yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, that was an incredible conversation. Thank you so Thank much. You. Any last word for the listeners or for those who are watching? Well, you know, I just first want to thank you for having me on. Thank you for your support. Uh, since we've met, I mean, you, you've been such a huge supporter and always so positive in it, in everything that I post and everything that I've been doing. So I appreciate that. I encourage everybody that's watching this one now to go back and watch some more uh, with Gabby and some of her other guests on the podcast. Um, it's always nice when you can share and support uh, people that are putting themselves out there because um, I know what it's like to be able to put yourself out there on a podcast and, and have people um, judge you or uh, make uh, assumptions on who you are or what you do based on what they see in 30 seconds on a on a podcast. But I, I would just encourage everybody to go and watch you a little bit more and uh, read your book. Right. I mean, I read I read your book about your life and I was like, I was wow. I was just amazed. As a matter of fact, one of my students borrowed that book and is reading it right now. I said, pretty amazing. That's a pretty strong woman, right? And she said, oh my God, I can't believe what she went through. That was amazing. And I'm like, Aww. I know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I so know. I'll be Thank passing, you. I'll be passing on that book to another Thank person. So next. Tell them to subscribe to my channel, my YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. That was a great pleasure. And we're going to do a part two because I have a lot more questions for you. Okay. Let's do it okay, whenever you're ready. Deal? Okay, thank you so much. And uh, until the next episode, stay uh, blessed, everybody. Thank you. Bye, guys.